I'm sorry, sir, but uh, let's say you weren't a captain, or maybe I was a major. What would you say then? Well, in that case, I'd say this is an excellent mission, sir, with an extremely valuable objective, sir. Worthy of my best efforts, sir. Moreover, I feel heartfelt sorrow for the mother of Private James Ryan. I'm willing to lay down my life and the lives of my men, especially you, Ryden, to ease her suffering. He's good. I love him. Good morning, gentlemen. You know, I fear that we are just like those soldiers on the screen. We are unconvinced, unconvinced that we are part of a noble mission in life. Life has a way of piling on one responsibility after another. And just like these soldiers, uh, we have to trust that our commander-in-chief knew what he was doing when he gifted us at birth with a design that is uniquely fitted to the mission he has for each one of us to accomplish. In fact, in the book, Now Know Your Strengths or Discover Your Strengths, the Gallup organization surveyed 1.7 million employees from 101 different companies across 64 different countries. They asked this question, how often do you have the opportunity Um, to put your strengths, to do what you do uh, best at work? That's the question. And and they discovered that 20% said my strengths are utilized every day. But they also discovered that 80% felt underutilized, that they're not putting their strengths in practice every day. Now imagine what would happen Uh, to employee morale and uh, to productivity if you were to take that 20% and increase it just 10 percentage points to 30%. GDP in America would skyrocket. I mean, um, in fact, um, Ben Franklin had an interesting way of describing this phenomenon of underutilized strengths. You know what he called it? Sundials in the shade. Isn't that an interesting way of looking at it as a sundial in the shade? And one of my great joys uh, has been this year is taking you through uh, this material, The Great Adventure of Manhood, so you can discover how to employ your unique design in life so you don't feel like a sundial in the shade. I mean, no one wants to feel underutilized. Like the soldiers on the screen, every man wants to know what he does matters. He wants to know that he's making a contribution and that he's not wasting his strengths. And that's why investing time here, um, going through this material, is a way of assisting you in finding out what makes you come alive, what interests you, what's meaningful to you, is one of the best uses of a man's time in his life because it can impact the rest of your life. Now, in his book, Let Your Life Speak, uh, Parker Palmer wrote this. He said, true vocation joins self in service. And then he defines what true vocation is. It's the place where your deepest gladness meets the world's deepest needs. Now, 
it's that intersection where your deepest gladness meets the world's deepest needs that we want to explore this year. And I want you to begin discovering, and that all begins with understanding your design. So what have we learned so far? Well, we have said it all goes back to a core concept. Do you remember what the core concept is? Yeah, we've repeated it time and time again. We've said every person has been uniquely crafted and gifted by God to perform meaningful acts of service to him and to others. Now, that thread runs through everything we've covered this year and will cover the rest of the year. Last week, we looked at two things uh, that support this core concept. We looked at, first of all, practical evidence. Secondly, we looked at biblical evidence uh, that you have been uniquely designed. No two people are alike. In, In the realm of practical evidence last week, Uh, We saw that our physical makeup is distinct. We saw that our perceptions are different from one another. Our styles of communication are not the same. Our approaches to life, they vary. And and you saw that clearly in the parable I read you about the school for animals. I mean, you guys remember the duck, the rabbit, the squirrel, the eagle, and uh, the cocker spaniel who was the valedictorian of the class? I mean, they all failed miserably because the class failed miserably because it didn't recognize the fundamental principle. Function follows design. Function follows design. That's letter A. What you do is your function, and that function should follow our God-given design. And if you want the adventure God has for you, gentlemen, it can't violate this principle. It has to run in in in, um, company with this principle. Then we examined the first two of three biblical evidences, and we called them foundational principles, and we said that they offer further evidence of unique design. The first is that we, all that we are that is worthwhile is a grace gift from God. That's the way we described it. Now, we define a grace gift as those special talents and abilities uh, that you received. You didn't earn them. You didn't deserve them. They're given to you by God, and he endowed you with them as part of your design so you can engage in the adventure he has for you to live. And then second, uh, we said some grace gifts are crafted by God at conception while others are given at conversion. And we looked at the conception-related issues, and this morning we want to look at the gifts that are given at conversion. Now, the gifts received at, at conception, we said they are natural gifts. Everybody's got them. Those that re- you receive at conversion, though, Those are not natural. They're supernatural gifts. They're divine in nature. And the Bible has a name for them. He calls them, they call them spiritual gifts. Now, I want to give you a couple working definitions that I think will help us comprehend what God has handcrafted for each one of us at conversion. Now, I want to begin by, first of all, recognizing that word conversion. It sounds pretty religious. And it may give some of you some concern. I mean, uh, it's not unusual to have men who hear that word conversion who have not had a good experience, maybe in the past, with a a pastor 
or with the church or with a group of people calling themselves Christ followers, uh, and it has impact on them today. And so your reaction to that word conversion I'm using uh, is negative, and I'm a little worried about that because that can put a barrier between you and me, and I just don't want that to happen. So my desire this morning is to give you a more accurate description of what I think is a very important word uh, in the Scripture and give you some new that'll give you some new insight into your gifting, your unique design. So that word conversion annoys you. Just would you mind laying that aside for a moment and. Let's talk a little bit about definition, and I think you'll see where I'm going with this. Now, conversion, I'm talking about, is a turning away from self toward God. Or, according to Jesus, he describes it as born again. Now, born again is another one of those words that may give you some concern. It's a religious-sounding word. I mean, you've heard that most of your life. Theologically speaking, it this point of conversion when a person places their faith in Christ and becomes a devoted follower of Christ, he also becomes born again. They're describing similar experiences. And there's a great example of this idea of being born again found in the the fourth gospel, the gospel of John, having to do with a religious leader named Nicodemus. And uh, in fact, uh, as we read through that brief account about Nicodemus, um, I, I want you to realize he's a religious leader. Um, and he is really focusing on everything in the uh, physical realm. Uh, and uh, that even though he's a religious leader, he is interested in what Jesus has to teach. And he's very unclear on this idea of conversion. And Jesus is going to introduce him to this phrase, born again. This is from the Living Bible. You can follow along on the screen. It says, after dark one night, the religious leader leader named Nicodemus, a member of the sect of Pharisees, came for an interview with Jesus. So this guy's a religious guy. He wants to talk to Jesus. He says, sir, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miracles are proof of this. And Jesus replied, with All earnestness I possess, I tell you, that unless you are born again, there's the term, he introduces it for the first time, you can never get into the kingdom of God. Unless you turn away from self toward God, you can never get into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, probably scratching his head, born again, what do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And now you begin to see the distinctions between what Nicodemus is talking about and what Jesus is talking about. Nicodemus is focused on the physical realm, but Jesus is focused on the spiritual realm. And Nicodemus is unclear about the definition of what is meant by conversion. So he goes on. So Jesus replied, what am I telling you? What I am telling you so earnestly is this, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Men can only replace human life, but the Holy Spirit gives new life from heaven. So don't be surprised at the statement that you must be born again. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it will go next, so it is with the Spirit. 
we do not know on whom he will next bestow this life from heaven. And in session seven last fall, I mean, we talked about this whole idea of born again, the whole idea of conversion. And we said that takes place when a person puts their trust in Jesus and what he's done for them. And you remember at that time I shared with you two circles. In fact, you can throw them up on the screen. Uh, the one at the top is really what Christ has done for me. You can click on that. And then the one on the bottom really talks about what Christ wants to do in me. Now, you can't improve that circle at the top. It's what Christ has done for you. And when you put your faith in Christ, what he's done for you is the way he's made you a child of God. He's forgiven your sins. He's given you eternal life. You can't improve upon that. He's given you that. But the bottom circle that says what he wants to do in you, you can improve on that circle. I mean, he can help you love people better. He can help you experience the abundant life that he wants every man to experience. And uh, he, he can help you live the life he's called you to that is the great adventure that he wants you to experience. Now, it's the difference between religion, which I define as man's attempt to reach God, and relationship where God offers to forgive man's wrongdoing, his sin, but it doesn't stop there. He wants to open up a dialogue with that man that will follow him the rest of his life and lead him on this great adventure. Now, several of you discovered the, the difference between what Nicodemus was talking about in the physical realm and what Jesus is talking about in the spiritual realm. Last fall when you said, Jesus, I, I want to ask you to forgive my sin. Make me the person you want me to be. I trust you to give me eternal life. And at that moment, a person communicates that sincerely to God, he is born again. That's that moment of conversion. That's what we're talking about. Now, the reason I go through all that is because it's important to understand that it's that conversion that um, leads us to look at this issue of spiritual gifts. It's at that point of conversion, you're given a whole series of gifts called spiritual gifts, and that's what the Bible is referring to when it talks about those spiritual gifts. You get them at conversion. Now, we need a working definition of spiritual gifts, so let me give you this. Spiritual gift is a unique God-given ability that he uses to enrich and empower his original design in your life. It's a unique God-given ability that he wants to use to enrich to empower his original design in your life that will energize you down the way in the adventure God has for you. And we've seen this, that in regard to natural gifts, which were given at birth, those are unique. They're one of a kind. Uh, they're special and distinct. There's not another person like you. But it's the same as true with spiritual gifts. I mean, there are certain gifts, but when they blend together with your personality, it makes you unique and one of a kind. And they come together as God's gift to you in life, those natural strengths you're born with and the spiritual gifts he wants to give you. Now, the Apostle Paul speaks about these uni unique gifts that are given at conversion 
in Romans 12 when he says this about them, having then gifts differing, it means unique from one another, according to the grace that was given to us as Christ's followers, let us use them. Now, you'd, you'd expect Paul to go into more detail on gifts, and he does. When you come to 1 Corinthians, uh, he talks about it in detail. You could call them, what he says, they are overarching principles or perspectives that will impact uh, your design, your spiritual design, as it is influenced by spiritual gifts, and he reveals the purposes of those spiritual gifts. So I just want to dig into this to kind of give you an overview so you can see what the Scripture is talking about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says this, there are diversities of gifts, talking about spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. And then he is going to give you just a sampling of some of the spiritual gifts uh, that God gives, he says. But the manifestations of the Spirit are given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, uh, another a word of knowledge through the Spirit, another faith by the same Spirit, another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, another the, the working of miracles, another prophecy, another discerning of spirits, uh, to another different kinds of tongues and another interpretations of tongues. So he's kind of just giving this sampling, this overview But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, I I want to reemphasize that very first, that very last phrase of that paragraph. Paul said, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. In other words, spiritual gifts are sovereignly distributed by the Holy Spirit. They're given by God's Spirit to each follow of Christ. You see, first, you're uniquely created, fearfully and wonderfully made, and you're given a design at creation, but when you put your faith in Christ, you're also given a supernatural gift, and that gift is going to be colored by your design at creation. Not everybody who has the same gift looks the same because not everybody is the same because you have a unique package of gifts that you were born with. Now, I want you to notice what Paul says in verse 7. He says, but the manifestations of the gift is given to each one for the profit of all. Now, one of the big mistakes made in terms of spiritual gifts is to think that gift was given for my benefit. No, it was given for others to benefit. So Paul's saying that spiritual gifts are not only given by God, but... They are given for the benefit of others. And so your gift was not given just for you. It's given to be employed in serving others. And that's what he means by that phrase, for the profit of all. In fact, Peter says exactly the same thing in the book that bears his name. He, He says it this way. As each one of us has received a gift, he's talking about a spiritual gift, Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of of God. 
Now, here's what I want you to know. Your greatest fulfillment, your greatest meaning and satisfaction in life will be found when you take your natural design given to you at birth and your spiritual gift given to you at conversion and engage them outside yourself for the benefit of others, somebody else. Now, culture will say just the opposite. Retirement says just the opposite. But the Scripture says our Creator wants you to experience the greatest meaning, have the greatest energy and enjoyment in life, and the greatest satisfaction and sense of significance comes when we focus our gifts outward. And I think that is significant. They're not there for us. They're there to benefit others. Now, the the Dead Sea in Israel is a good example of what happens when you don't focus outward. Do do you know the the Dead Sea is a uh, body of water with no outlet whatsoever? The water pours in from the Jordan River to the north, throw, throw it back up there, and it doesn't go anywhere. It stays, and it just evaporates. And because it has no outlet... Uh, the Dead Sea is dead. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. It's so filled with salt and chemicals that nothing can survive uh, the chemical makeup of that water. And that's exactly what happens when you don't have an outlet, an outflow. And what God is saying is, I've given you these gifts as an inflow, but I don't want you to be like the Dead Sea. I want you to have an outflow into the lives of others. If there's not no outflow, you won't experience the great adventure in life, at least not the way God designed it to be experienced. Your gifts were given for the benefit of, the, of others. Now, there's a third truth, and that says that spiritual gifts are uniquely expressed with Varied effect. So our spiritual uh, gifts are designed to be uniquely expressed by each Christ follower. But when we do, we get varying effects. Varying degrees of influence, you could say. Now, I want you to follow along the progression of this as as I read uh, beginning, uh, the beginning verses of what Paul was saying, he, remember he said, there are diversities of gifts, same spirit. Okay, that's the first phrase, diversities of gifts, same spirit. There are differences of ministries, same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. So there are varieties of gifts given by the Holy Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, opportunities to employ those gifts given by Uh, the Spirit of God, and there are a variety of effects or activities that are ultimately controlled by God. Uh, And the text is saying the whole Godhead, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, is involved in the shaping of our desire, our directing our use, and determining the extent and effect of its influence. God's involved in all of it. Now, Paul makes a similar point. He just does it completely different. Uh, He says this in 1 Corinthians 3. He put it this way. I planted, Apollo watered, different contributions, two different men, two different contributions. But God gave the increase. 
So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. You see, spiritual gifts are uniquely expressed by the individual. Uh, We're not to be caught up in comparison, wishing I had that gift. I wish I had what that guy had. God has distributed them equally, and God knows what he's doing. Comparison and competition is a reactive way of living, and um, that's not something God wants for us. Instead, he wants us to employ our gifts and watch God use them. That's a proactive way of living. But mankind has a way of comparing. So you've got to remember, my gifts are different from everyone else's, and I need to employ them in a proactive way. Uh, For instance, my guess is that Chad and I may have a similar spiritual gift. It may be the gift of exhortation, meaning that when you speak, um, your words tend to encourage. They may inspire. They may cause someone to to be motivated to live better. But our natural personalities are completely different. And so what that gift looks like employed by me is going to be different than what it looks like employed by Chad. They have different outcomes. We may have the same gift, but filtered through our personality, it's going to have a different flavor to it. So if we go back to the big picture just for a minute... The biblical evidence in support of this core concept is rooted in three foundational principles. Three. Here's what they are. All that you are that is worthwhile is a grace gift from God. Okay, we talked about that. Second, some grace gifts are crafted by God at conception while others are given at conversion, and we just talked about that. There's a third foundational principle. I want you to listen to this carefully, and it is this, that... Your grace gift crafted by God at conception, in other words, your natural abilities, and those received at conversion, your spiritual gifts, should not be viewed as mutually exclusive, but as complementary. As complementary. In other words, your spiritual gifts can highlight your natural design given at birth. They can energize that natural design given at birth. They can even alter the useful purpose of that natural design given at birth, but they will not change that natural design. It remains. They complement and empower that natural design given at birth. In fact, that's the very thing you see in the life of Paul. If you're familiar with the Scripture, he comes to know Christ, at conversion on the road to Damascus in a very significant way. You can read the details about it in Acts 9. But he comes to know Christ in a, in a very significant way. And then he, about 10 years later, writes a letter to the church at Galatia. And in that letter, he talks about what his life was like before his conversion, came to know Christ, and what it was like after his conversion. And it... it if you read what he wrote, you'll, you'll begin to see how his natural design given at birth is complemented by his spiritual gifts and vice versa. Here's what he writes. See if you can detect it in what he said. Wrote this to the church at Galatia. 
He said, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, it came through that Damascus Road experience. And so he goes back now to before he knew Christ personally. So he says, For you have heard my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, of course that was at conception, and call me through the grace, through his grace, to reveal his son to me, that is that conversion, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, did you see it? Same design, new purpose. Before conversion, after conversion, same design, but now he's got a new purpose. Paul's personality, his giftedness at birth... He's just naturally bold. He, he's uh, action-oriented. He's a risk-taker. He is always engaged in a cause. He was kind of this outstanding leader. So before conversion, as he uh, moved within those natural abilities that God gave him at birth, well, he persecuted the church. He killed Christians. That's how he employed those natural strengths. Then after conversion... You notice there is a different way of responding. Uh, he becomes spiritually engaged now, and his design didn't change, but his useful purpose did. Now, now he is using the same leadership st- skill, risk-taking, action orientation to um, train the church and spread the news of who Jesus is. Same guy... Now, just a different orientation. And that's how the two go together. Your grace gifts are given by God at conception. And those received at conversion should not be viewed as mutually exclusive. They need to be seen as complementary, and that's how they come together. Now, I saw those same things in my life um, over the past 60 years. Uh, I mean, growing up as a kid, I was just naturally directing things, leading things. I was organizing things. In fact, I can remember back in grade school uh, getting all the kids in the neighborhood together to put on a play to entertain our parents one summer. And I directed it and I wrote it, directed it, and organized the kids into doing it. It just was something that I naturally gravitated toward. Uh, and, and then uh, when I was in high school, I, I can remember um, taking three classes and organizing them and how to brainstorm and then uh, create a homecoming float that we could enter in a competition. So there's about 90 students getting them organized, getting the materials together and coming up with the ideas, getting the materials together and then submitting it. And we end up winning that competition uh, as a junior in high school, which was un- unheard of. But it just was a natural gravitation toward me, for me. And then I remember my senior year, uh, we were playing the um, Central Tigers, and so I wanted to drum up some school spirit, and I was trying to raise money for our senior class. 
So I got the idea. I talked somebody into giving us his Volkswagen bug. And then I had the, um, the art class painted with tiger stripes. We set it out on the patio at the high school the week before the Central High Tiger game. And uh, we ended up selling tickets to spend five minutes with, with an eight-pound sledgehammer smashing this car until nothing was left. And uh, kids after school, before the game, just lined up. We sold a bazillion tickets. And, man, I thought we were going to make money head over, over fist. What I didn't anticipate, though, is that uh, of the eight sledgehammers we borrowed from friends to use to smash the car, eight of the handles got broken, so we had to go purchase eight more handles and get them fitted on the sledgehammers, which tended to eat up our profits. But regardless, you can see those natural leadership abilities in my life even as a kid. So I come to know Christ. I go to, uh, to Mississippi State University. And uh, I get involved with uh, an organization then called Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew. And so I just naturally led a Bible study on my dorm floor. It just seemed like the thing to do. And then I began in my junior year teaching a leadership class with Crew that helped train students in uh, the Christian life. Uh, then my senior year, I led a Bible study in my fraternity, which was the rowdiest fraternity on campus, and we had a, a large number of guys coming and enjoying that study. Uh, the summer of my junior year, I ended up doing a summer project with, with crew, and then uh, my senior year, I ended up leading a project of about 60 staff uh, at a boys' camp for crew. And, and so you, you can see the same strengths at, in play, but now they're employed in a different avenue. Same person, same natural abilities, but now I've taken on a different mantle, and that is influencing people for relationship with Christ. And I even do that today. In fact, I'm employed, employed to do that today, uh, leading people to Christ, and it's always been in line with my design and the natural abilities there. So you see, natural abilities and our spiritual gifts, the, you receive them both, but they are to be viewed as mutually not mutually exclusive, but as complementary to one another. That's how the two mesh together. Now, here's what I want to do with the time remaining. I want to give you a brief overview of servants by design. And I know you've been anxious to look at that. Uh, you've taken your inventory. It's been emailed back to you. You're interested in talking about it. Uh, so you can know exactly what you've got there. So I want to just offer a an introduction to that, and we're going to go in detail the next two weeks uh, and, and explore it in a significant way. Um, in fact, as a way of introducing, what I would, I would say is I would call your results a unique condominium of design. And you'll see why we've employed that term condominium in a moment. If you've taken the service by design inventory, the, uh, the results have been emailed to you. It looks something like this. Now, over there on the left side, you've got the attic. Uh, in the middle, personality structure. The bottom, you've got foundation. Those are kind of the three aspects of your unique condominium of design. 
Now, the personality parts that are closest to the foundation are those that you employ most often. In other words, think of it this way. If this is a condominium, you tend to live most of your life in your condominium on the lower floors. I mean, you spend most of your life on the first floor, second floor. You may visit the middle floors. Uh, You spend very little time really up in the attic, but most of your life is lived on the bottom floor. So uh, those um, design parts that are closer to your foundation, uh, those are the ones that you engage and use most often. Now, it doesn't mean you don't go to your attic. I mean, yeah, you go to the attic occasionally. It doesn't mean you, you, you can't be up there, but you don't spend a lot of time there. You do things in the attic, but the majority of your time is spent on the main floor. Uh, but you're not just what you find at the bottom, at the foundation. In this case, you're not just an achiever. In actuality, you're a combination of all six floors of this condominium. They all come into play in different percentages that create your unique design given at birth and that has been developed in you over the years. So uh, it's a unique combination of all six personality parts. Now, you notice the percentages out here to the left. Those are not grades. Now, if that was a grade, then this poor sap has got two A's and four F's. Um, The best way to to look at these are are, these are percentages like energy bars. Uh, 100%, he's 100% achiever. This is where he draws most of his energy. He's 95% harmonizer, so that's going to have a huge impact on his energy. So you could... Um, you could look at them as energy bars or you could look at them as uh, energizing forces in your life. Now, I just want to give you a couple words to describe the, the, each one of these core streaks. Uh, you could call them personality parts to kind of give you a broad overview. Now, um, what I'm going to give you is enough to make you dangerous. So you've you got to come back next week and get the details. But this will be a way of an introduction And I'm going to start at the bottom of this profile and work our way up. Uh, Your core strengths are nearest the bottom. And in this guy's profile, uh, at his foundation is achiever. Now, by achiever, I mean uh, they tend to be logical and organized. Achievers tend to have analytical minds. They gather and sort facts. They love solving problems in a clear thinking manner. Achievers uh, tend to be objective thinking, logical and organized. The next is harmonizer. Now, harmonizer is different. They tend to be compassionate and warm. They're strongly people-oriented. They enjoy having fun with people. They uh, have lots of relationships. They enjoy deep conversations. They tend to be kind, and they tend to read people well you would probably say they're extremely relational. Uh, The next category is persister. Now, these guys are dedicated. They are very conscientious. They tend to be real real values-oriented people. They have convictions. They stick to those convictions. They have a strong belief system. 
strong inner convictions, very committed and adhere to their beliefs. They can even be rigid. That's persistent. And then there's the energizer. Now, this person is spontaneous and fun-loving. One of my sons is an energizer. He just went, went, went when he was a kid. Wouldn't stop. Uh, and we'll talk a lot more about that. They tend to be jokesters. They have, they are fun to be around. They're creative, and they uh, they love a party, and they enjoy people. Energizers. Now the catalyzer. They tend to be persuasive and bold. They are action oriented. These guys are risk takers. They can be convincing, and they love taking chances. They can be adventurers in terms of taking risks. By the way, I might mention, did you know this assessment was originally used to determine uh, which astronauts would fly to the moon? When it came to the um, Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo programs uh, for NASA uh, that were pointing toward landing on the moon, they chose 100% catalyzers to be a part of the space program. That's what they wanted. In fact, did you know Neil Armstrong was a catalyzer? Risk taker? Confident kind of person? Do you remember how Armstrong landed the lunar module on the moon? As they came in for a landing, it was all supposed to happen automatically. They saw the terrain was rougher than they anticipated. And so, without hesitation, Armstrong took over the controls and put it in manual. And the engineers at NASA just about croaked. Uh, I mean, they didn't think anybody could do that. And Armstrong threw it into manual, found a place to land, and put it down safely. Now, that's a catalyzer. They have a lot of confidence. Now, as the space program has advanced from landing on the moon into the space shuttle, uh, well, they began choosing achievers and harmonizers for the space shuttle. Now, why is that? They didn't want a catalyzer driving that thing. It takes a team to drive the space shuttle. One man can't do it. And they're a team in close quarters with one another for longer periods of time So they need to be able to get along with one another. They don't need a risk taker trying to drive that thing. They need some people who can build good team relationships. So they they chose harmonizers and achievers who set goals and like to accomplish those goals. And the catalyzers kind of got dropped to the wayside. Well, that last category, uh, the one in the attic here is dreamer. Now, a dreamer is more reflective. They tend to come across very calm. They're energized by time alone. They love thinking and they love reflecting. In fact, they're usually lost in thought, a 100% dreamer. And they, they, as they think, they love to keep their conclusions open-ended because they want to think about it some more. So th- those are uh, really the six personality types. Uh, and 
again, you're not just one. You're a combination of all six, and they come together uniquely blending your personality. So, final question is, what is next? Well, in the next two sessions, we're going to talk in detail about these personality parts, and you'll get a clear picture of what you're like based upon your servants by design. Uh, I think we're going to learn to see the difference between each of their perceptions, how they view issues in life. We're going to learn about the different motivations. You're going to start thinking about your spouse and what you are and how she's motivated and why there's conflict there is going to start to become apparent to you and how that needs to be addressed. You're going to look at triggers for each one. You're going to look at what motivates and energizes each one. And there's just a lot to process, and we're going to have fun doing it. But that begins next week. So I've given you a lot to think about. I kind of rushed through spiritual gifts. The goal is not to explain the details of the spiritual gifts. I flew through the just different gifts. It's to show you how it all comes together, what you're given at birth and what you're given at conversion. So enjoy your discussion, and we'll see you next week. I promise you it'll be fun.